The tax base around the world is shrinking for traditional excise taxes, including taxes on things like tobacco, alcohol, and motor fuel. But newer excise taxes on things like carbon, cannabis, and ride-sharing are all on the rise. These taxes have the potential to significantly affect the global economy. How have excise taxes been used by policymakers in the past? And how is that changing? What makes a good design for these taxes? And where will excise taxes go in the future as the traditional sin tax base continues to shrink? Hello, and welcome to The Deduction, a Tax Foundation podcast. My name is Jesse Solis, Communications Manager here at the Tax Foundation. And this week, we are joined by our Director of Excise Tax Policy, Adam Hoffer. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Jesse. Yeah. Um, so I've mentioned before on this podcast, we try to use the deduction as an opportunity not just to elevate you know, the critical research that our experts do um, and kind of put them in more conversational terms for you all, but also to kind of highlight the experts behind that work. Uh, give a voice to the authors you see online, uh, learn more about them and the work they are doing. So um, Adam, as I mentioned, you are the director of tax, uh, excise tax policy at TF. What does that mean exactly? Well, it means I have a really fun job. <laughs> I get to study excise taxes. So these are taxes levied on specific goods in addition to your existing broad-based taxes, like sales taxes, get applied to almost everything. Excise taxes are targeted and levied only on specific goods. And so uh, whenever I was younger, I actually I thought that uh, spending a career studying Things like tobacco, alcohol, gambling, and marijuana would would make for a, a nice, fun lifetime of work. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. And if you have to do, you know, research on any product too, it's you know, there's not, I'm, you know, Vegas, <laughs> etc. <laughs> We're not promoting smoking on this podcast anyway. Uh, but Adam, um, you're, you're not in our DC office. You work remotely in Wisconsin, correct? That's true. I live in La Crosse, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. with my wife and two children. Though I'm originally from outside of Pittsburgh. And I earned my PhD from West Virginia University in 2012. So how how's a guy from the Midwest get into tax policy? What kind of drew you to this uh, world? Well, I spent 10 years as an economics professor in academia before making the jump over here to TF. Uh, I've always found excise taxes as something that's fascinating to study. I mean, I, I know I think most of our listeners would, would agree that uh, someone who studies taxes, it's a it, it's a narrow audience and a, a select group of people who really want to study these kinds of things. Uh, but within the tax world, again, I, I've always found excise taxes to be uh, the most interesting. They're, they differ so widely from place to place. And uh, recently we've seen, you know, in part due to incredible market innovations, real shakeups and changes in the excise tax space. Wow. So let, let's get into that there. Um, as always, any report that we mention on our website, we will link to in the show notes. And Adam, you had this uh, extremely long, extremely detailed, but really interesting report come out uh, earlier this month in April 2023, uh, titled Global Excise Tax Application and Trends. Um, there's a lot of reports out there. I think a lot of people are familiar with like, you know, local excise taxes or the ones at the state levels. You know, I think people are pretty familiar, even if they don't smoke, with the local cigarette taxes, alcohol taxes. Um, you know, as economies change, sports betting, you know, some of that in the federal too. But this is really the first kind of look I've ever seen at taking a look at excise taxes across the globe. Uh, so what was kind of the impetus for this study and what did you find? Well, I, I think it's uh, exactly what you pointed out there. I think most of us are, are very aware of what's happening locally. 
Uh, I always like to joke that uh, gas taxes are perhaps the most salient and visible tax that we have out there because every gas station is like a giant billboard for what's going on uh, in gas tax policy. Uh, around the globe, uh, you know, a lot of what we've seen in the past several years is a, a movement toward more uh, global type tax policy, a uh, tax policy that's coordinated across countries and coordinating, you know, not, not just between local municipalities or, you know, even uh, coordinated policy across states, but uh, also with, with several governments and countries around the world. And so uh, in looking at that kind of policy, we also didn't find very much that had been done in the excise tax space. And uh, so with not very much being out there, we decided to to take a stab at uh, trying to describe and summarize both, you know, what we've seen from some of the big existing broad categories of excise taxes, uh, but then also a lot of the new emerging trends, which could could really shake up the excise tax space. So uh, let's talk um, kind of the traditional excise taxes people are familiar with. How do those kind of differ from country to country? Um, are cigarette taxes, you know, just as big of a deal in Europe as they are in the U.S.? Um, and are they still kind of serving the same function that they have, you know, in the past, uh, traditionally, you know, um, people look at cigarette taxes as like a sin tax. Is it viewed as a sin tax everywhere? In a lot of places, yes. So uh, around the globe, we see uh, just about every country in the, in the entire world has some sort of tax on cigarettes. Uh, but what we've seen over time is if, if we look at this over the course of several decades, what's really interesting is that the tax base for a lot of these traditional excise tax categories, specifically alcohol, tobacco, and fuel, uh, that tax base is shrinking. Fewer people smoke, so there are less cigarettes purchased each year, and fewer people or fewer smokers to tax. Uh, and then if we look at fuel, electronic vehicles are making up a, they make up a growing share of vehicles on the road. So the number of fuel purchasing consumers is shrinking as well. Mm. So um, the base for those traditional excise taxes are shrinking. Of course, that's going to have an impact on revenues. And, you know, governments, like, I think they get used to certain levels of revenues. They kind of want to keep that. Um, so are there new excise taxes emerging um, because of that shrinking revenue? Um, or is it just new excise taxes are coming about because there's new, quote unquote, sins to tax? Well, the answer to that is, is yes to both. Uh, <laughs> One of the things that we've seen uh, specifically, if, if we just stick with, with cigarettes for the moment, is that uh, as that tax base has shrunk, as there are fewer and fewer smokers to tax, the, the rates have gone up. Uh, and we've seen that almost everywhere around the globe. Uh, smoking has you know, really seen a consistent downward trend since the 1960s. Uh, and so what that means is that in order to keep the amount of revenue the same, rates have to go up. And, and we've seen uh, countries, again, pretty much everywhere, aggressively pursue that kind of policy. Uh, now, what's what's really interesting if, is if we move away from cigarettes, uh, we see really different uh, adoption of policies on some of these uh, traditional categories. I, I mentioned electronic vehicles. Uh, we see that here in the United States, I, I think you know most people would recognize that electronic vehicles are uh, they're taking more and more market share each year. But if we look across the globe, we see really varying trends. Uh, in some Scandinavian countries, for example, uh, in Norway, three quarters of all the cars in the road are plug-in electronic vehicles. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what that means is that, you know, if, if we're funding roads with gas taxes and now more and more cars on the road aren't buying gas, then we need some different tools in order to fund those road expenditures. Mm. So what are kind of some of the new excise taxes that are emerging across the globe, Den? Um, you know, I, I, carbon taxes might come to mind for some right away, uh, but what other kind of excise tax trends are we seeing globally? Yeah, globally, it, it's really interesting. We've seen a lot of new products being targeted for excise taxes. Now, most of these policies are incredibly narrow or have a really limited geographic application. Uh, some of these examples include things like taxes on playing cards, fur clothes, blueberries, admissions to entertainment shows, parking spots, candy, ice cream, uh, really junk food of any kind, uh, and even sales of products at establishments related to the sex industry. But there are other excise taxes which uh, have a broad global base and can really change the entire landscape of excise taxation. Uh, These include things like taxes on carbon, cannabis, alternative and innovative tobacco products, and plastics. Wow. And uh, kind of like my last question here in our in our first section for you, um, is is there like specific countries who are kind of like leading the charge on certain excise taxes? It's like, oh, I, I don't know if this is true, but let, let's say Germany was the first to tax plastic bags and everyone's like, oh, that seems cool. We should do that too. Um, are there kind of like leaders in these like emerging economies in terms of getting an excise tax attached to it? Um, or is it kind of just the markets generally are shifting one way and countries slowly respond to it? Yeah, I, there are absolutely leaders. Uh, there's a uh, an old famous quote that I'm fond of that uh, states, uh, that we like in the United States, uh, that says uh, states are the laboratories of democracy. We can think of uh, here in the United States as states being sort of innovators and trying new policies and we can see what works and what doesn't work. Well, as we move to a more global tax system, we're seeing the same thing just on a country scale. Uh, What we've seen is that uh, most of the growth in the global cannabis market, for example, has been the result of legalization and new tax policy in North America. Uh, I I think the jury's still out on what we're going to see federal policy look like in the United States uh, and other parts of the world. But as we look to design those policies, we can see what has happened in Canada and throughout certain U.S. states to model policy elsewhere. On things like carbon and plastic, European countries, and collectively as a whole, the, the European Union, have been the first movers. Uh, mm-hmm. The EU has multinational agreements in place for non-recycled plastic taxes, carbon taxes, and even a carbon border adjustment mechanism for products coming into the EU that were created in non-EU countries. Uh, Again, each of these has a varying degree of complexity, but uh, what I really enjoy is that we can look at these policies, we can study what works, uh, what works well, and what hasn't worked, and we can use that to model best policy for future adoption around the world. Hmm. And I think we'll get more into those designs and what's working, what, what, what isn't working right after this.
and we are back. This is the section of our show we call Myths and Misconceptions. We take some of the common talking points around these ideas we discuss on the deduction and kind of just get to the bottom of it. Is it true? Is it not? Is there more that meets the eye? Uh, so Adam, first, I kind of want to talk to you um, about the really revenue that comes from an excise tax. I think often, um, you know, you'll see a lottery commercial, for example, and it's like, oh, Michigan lottery, the the funds go to pay for a new elementary school. Um, and I think you see that kind of a lot with different excise taxes where they dedicate the revenue from it to a specific program. Um, I think saying, oh, if you buy a lottery ticket, you're up in schools, that kind of sounds politically good, you know, uh, but is that really a smart policy design? So the, the my short answer here is that, uh, no, what we should see is uh, we'd like to see from a best tax policy perspective, aligning expenditures with the tax source. Now, obviously, I, I think we can recognize that uh, generating new revenue is a really attractive feature of these new excise taxes and, and a lot of what has made them politically palatable, uh, specifically on things like cannabis and uh, online sports betting here in the United States. Uh, but what we see is that uh, sort of a recurring theme, he uh, theme here is that tax design matters, and especially when it comes to pairing with expenditures. Uh, some of these taxes can be really volatile. Well, we say that good tax policy should promote stability. Uh, what happens when we have volatile, volatile sources of revenue? Well, it really depends on what that revenue is going to be spent on. Uh, Colorado earmarks uh, its sports gaming revenue to uh, the Water Authority. And when sports gaming revenues came in less than expected or were really volatile, uh, all of a sudden funding for a much needed project just wasn't there. You know, we see that all the time. You mentioned lotteries uh, are certainly a culprit of this. Uh, and also with uh, tobacco, we mentioned that fewer and fewer people smoke each year. So uh, tobacco revenues are generally on a downward trend. Uh, now, what happens if these get paired with uh, programs that we want to spend more on, like education uh, or, you know, other public goods. It's that, well, then all of a sudden these expenditure categories that we want to grow over time now have a shrinking tax source. Uh, and that's just not good public policy. Mm. It's okay if you don't know, like, percentage or anything, but do you think the trend often is when an excise tax gets proposed, they do allocate it towards the right thing? It's like, you know, someone says, oh, we're going to increase tobacco taxes and all those funds are going towards healthcare, for example. Do politicians, policymakers typically tend to take that approach first or do a lot of policymakers around the globe kind of stumble into maybe accidentally doing that and have a different kind of political ambition for whatever syntax revenue they might get? Yeah, I, I don't know if there is a, an established rule of thumb. Uh, I, I What I have seen is that uh, in order to implement a new tax that, again, might not be popular, uh, an easy way, I guess that maybe the easiest way of getting over that hurdle is to promise more expenditures on something that people like. Uh, so again, we've seen this uh, education is is usually a really nice target. Um, we've seen that for tobacco revenues, cannabis revenues, uh, lottery and gaming revenues, uh, and even the the soda tax in Philadelphia. 
uh, it it becomes harder and harder to argue against uh, a tax increase if uh, the argument is that it's going to increase funding for something that we like. Now, I, I would say that it really varies by the product being taxed. Um, that's, that's one of the biggest issues right now with uh, carbon tax proposals uh, is that I, I think we actually have somewhat of a broad agreement on, you know, if, if we're going to implement a carbon tax, what would the tax design look like? Um, I, I can't say it's complete agreement, but there's there's generally some uh, agreed upon um, starting points. The real question is then, uh, this is going to generate a lot of revenue, and what should that revenue be spent on? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you mentioned carbon taxes there, and, and that word popular, you kind of mentioned before that too, because I think one argument you often hear, especially in D.C., but I'm sure in other you know, capitals around the world too, is some people will say I'm against a carbon tax because it will increase energy cost, you know, for poor families, even though, you know, those poor families are probably the ones who will be impacted most by the climate crisis. Um, so I wonder, you know, is is that claim not just for carbon taxes, but overall, is it true? Are, are excise taxes generally always regressive? Will they always kind of hit those at the bottom the most and those at the top the least? Yeah, almost by definition, excise taxes are regressive. Uh, The goods that are targeted for these taxes are consumed disproportionately by lower income households. Uh, Now, simply because a tax is regressive doesn't mean that we shouldn't use it at all. Uh, Most carbon tax, or most, uh, sorry, most consumption taxes are regressive by nature just because it's, for most products, it's hard to, uh, match your spending as your income grows uh, because people will, will want to save some of that additional income. So consumption taxes tend to be regressive, but they can also be uh, and should be a very important part of tax policy. What that means, though, is that because a tax is regressive, if it's disproportionately burdening lower income households, then we should be very selective in the use of those kinds of policies. Uh, Excise taxes in particular, uh, they're levied on targeted, very specific goods. And so if we know that these taxes are going to harm the poor, then we have to make automatic adjustments to expenditure policy to uh, in part compensate for these additional taxes. Uh, But then also, again, the regressive nature of the tax should really go into the tax design and and how we use them. Mm, as we as we kind of wrap things up here, let's get to that design function, Adam. So let's let's draw a blueprint. Um, you're an excise tax policy expert. Let's say you were in charge of writing every excise tax policy from here on out. What is what is the proper design? What what is the Adam Hoffer Tax Foundation design for a a good looking excise tax? That's a great question and also a a, a fun scenario to envision. Uh, I. <laughs> I think that when it comes to designing an excise tax, we have to start from the very beginning principle of why are we putting a special excise tax on a product in the first place? Uh, The the two primary reasons we see is that uh, there are some kind of external effects, some negative external consequence to to someone else from consuming or using a product, or it's, it's a user fee. Right, so if you're going to drive on the road and the roads are funded with public funds, then we want to uh, charge you in some way for using those roads. So starting from that point, I think 
what we want to do is we want to directly target as best as we can either those negative external costs or uh, identify and implement the tax as a user fee for, for using some public good. And then from there, I think we stick to our basic fundamental principles of good tax policy. We want it to be simple. Uh, we want people to be able to understand it um, and easily comply with it. We would like it to be as neutral as possible. Um, tax excise taxes by definition are not neutral because they they target a specific product and not a really broad base. But uh, even within a category, within alcohol, for example, uh, we want taxes to be neutral. We don't want to tax, for example, um, we don't we wouldn't want to have a tax on vodka but not rum, for example. Um, we want them to be uh, simple, neutral, um, and then. You know, we just want the tax to target this negative outcome. So I, I think, you know, the, the heart of some of these tax policies uh, is really a simple set of principles uh, that can, you know, sometimes be built on and, and end up becoming super complicated. But uh, I, I like keeping things uh, simple and uh, very transparent. Mm. If uh, if Mr. Captain Morgan listens to this podcast, I'll make sure he he heard that part saying we should tax rum. Um, so, a Adam, this has all been extremely informative, and I'm really glad you know we got an episode here that really got to the stability argument. We talk about simplicity all the time here, show the importance of that. Stability doesn't come up as often, but it's equally as important when we are talking about that tax design for sure. Um, so where. You know, based off your research, where, where do you see excise taxes going from here? Um, do you think there's going to be any significant pushes this year? Um, is a worldwide carbon tax going to happen you know, the next couple months? Um, what what kind of like do you think is on the horizon for excise taxes? Yeah, I, I don't think we're on a month-to-month -month time frame for a lot of these global taxes, but uh, I do think in the near future, in a, a couple of years, I think we will see uh, major policy adjustments related to what's going on in the world. Uh, I, I think that, you know, in the Inflation Reduction Act, we saw a lot of policy changes um, designed to uh, impart, you know, I guess designed in part based on what we were seeing going on uh, over in Europe. I think that a lot of future federal policy here in the United States will reflect what we're seeing going on in the rest of the world. Hmm. Um, well, Adam, thank you for making your deduction debut with us. I'm sure this will not be the last time we talk to you um, this year. What else are you working on uh, this spring? And it's almost summer, so this summer too. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, Jesse. Again, thanks for having me on. Uh, there are a lot of interesting things going on uh, in the excise program here at the Tax Foundation. Uh, right now, I'm working on an update to some of our web platforms on excise tax data visualization. Uh, so I'm I'm hopeful that we'll have some new and cool tools for visitors to uh, engage with our data and to use on our site by the summer. Uh, I'm also working, and I hope to expand uh, on the foundational paper that you referenced, this global excise taxes and trends paper, uh, by writing some standalone pieces on taxation specifically related to uh, first, alternative tobacco products. Uh, and then uh, I'm also really excited to get going on a primer on extended producer responsibility and plastic taxes. Wow. Busy as always, uh, but we will be sure to keep up with your work and keep our listeners informed of all that you're doing um, as well. If people want to keep up with that work, where can they find you, Adam? 
Uh, I spend most of my social media time on LinkedIn. You can find me there just as Adam Hoffer. Uh, I also uh, occasionally tweet. Uh, I'm Adam J. Hoffer on Twitter. And then, of course, the Tax Foundation websites uh, will have all the all the research up to date. I think we're all tweeting a little less these days, but maybe some are tweeting more. I don't know. I've been off it less, but I'm sure that will change with the wind. But uh, Adam, thank you. Uh, we'll be sure to have you on again soon. Yeah, thanks again, Jesse. The Deduction is produced by Dan Carbajal. To learn more about the Tax Foundation and The Deduction, visit us online at taxfoundation.org slash podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Tax Foundation, as well as on Twitter at DeductionPod. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on The Deduction. The Deduction.